0: I invite you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3, and and let's look at verse 14, Ephesians 3, 14. When somebody is is leading you in prayer, um, and you hear what they're saying, sometimes do you think to yourself, like, uh, should they really be saying this? Like, one eye is open. Should should I be agreeing with them in, in this prayer? I hope you're paying attention to what that person's saying but your heart's also supposed to be agreeing with them as they pray. So we're praying in one accord. And you're, you're thinking, am I really with this prayer? Is this prayer really right? And am I united in heart and united in spirit with this person as they pray? So I want you to look at verse 14 because Paul says here, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named so this is a prayer of the apostle paul in the word of god and it is inspired by the holy spirit so we know this is a good prayer we know this is a prayer that we should agree with we know this is a prayer that we should pray for ourselves and even for each other paul says i bow my knees he's praying to the one who made the church isn't he he's also praying for the people And that's us. Those are the people that he was writing to in Ephesus. I'm praying for you, and I'm praying to the Lord. These verses, verse 14 and 15, they are about prayer, but they they speak to us about who we are. What does it say about us there? It says that we bear the name of Jesus, that we're called by his name. Because we're his family, you know how when you come into a family, you take on the name of that family we've been adopted into his family we're we're one in the lord his family by his name what else does it tell us about this family that it spans heaven and earth doesn't it that there are those who have gone before and, and they're now in heaven and there are those of us who are here still here so it speaks to us of who we are what our future is, and what a comfort it is to know that we are new, that we have a new nature, that we have a new name, and we're supposed to pray for each other in this way, that we understand who we are, that we act and that we live accordingly. We're bought by the blood of Jesus, and tonight we're remembering that. Hopefully we're remembering that every day. We're bought by the blood of Jesus, and we're called by his name into this family. Bear Jesus' name as a family. Thank you, Lord, for making us yours. Uh, We sit here at your feet and we praise your name. 16 says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. So look at what it's saying, that the Lord, that's the he, that he would give you, grant to you, according to the riches of his glory. The Lord is rich indeed. He's rich in mercy. His glory. Glory is rich, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. What a prayer. The prayer is for inner strength. The, The inner man, the inner self, the inner woman. Do you need some of that inner strength? That is where the battle is won, isn't it? Inside our souls. If you are to be strengthened in the inner person, Where will that strength come from according to the word of God, according to the glory of God's riches, his eternal glory? So this inner strength is not something that we just get the gumption up for. It's instead something that God grants to us through the riches of his glory. It comes from him. So we we get too simplistic in our thinking sometimes, and we think, well, I need more discipline. I I, I need to, to be more obedient. And those things are true, aren't they? that we do need to be disciplined. We need to make provision for things of the Spirit and the things of the flesh we should not make provision for. But look, the ultimate granting of that inner strength is from God. So we should never have the attitude that says, well, I'm strong inside and, and I got here because I made provision for the Spirit and not for the flesh, because I was disciplined, because I did this or that. It's a grant From God, that our souls would be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. The power is not your discipline or mine, and He desires to build us up. So the prayer is for inner strength. Then 17 says more that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So Christ dwelling in us, another part of the prayer request and also being grounded, rooted in that love. You would look at the beginning of verse 17 and think, oh, that's salvation. Why would you think that? Well, because we're saved by grace through faith, right? It's it's by faith that we have the Lord dwelling in us. But it could also certainly be what happens after we're saved, because we grow from faith to faith. It could be sanctification too. We know that the word of Christ can richly dwell within us. It tells us in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's the first part of 17 is, is this faith in our hearts. Is it in you? Faith in the Lord Jesus. Not fear, but faith. The second part of 17 is certainly our growth, isn't it? The rooting and the grounding. When I read this, I thought of the, the tree that's talked about in, in Psalm chapter 1. The, the blessed is the man who's planted right by the river and he's got really deep, strong roots. He's rooted and grounded in the things of God. Isn't this the prayer? Is this the way... We pray for ourselves. This is the way we pray for each other. Faith in our hearts, deep roots in the love of Jesus. Verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Last Thursday, uh, last time we had communion, last month, the first Thursday of the month, we talked about our five senses. And if you would have been there at the site of the crucifixion of Jesus, you would have seen all of his senses tortured and taxed beyond measure. What he heard and, and what he felt, what he tasted, what he saw, It would have been so graphic, are you with me, so gruesome that we couldn't stand it. So what did the Lord do? He gave us the bread and the cup to engage our our senses, to wake us up. It's like an object lesson that you can taste, that you can see, that you can feel, and say, look at what I did to save you from your sins. And recognize and remember, yes, in a way where you're hearing the word of God, very important, but also in a way where you're you're seeing with your eyes, consider the cross. But I see in this verse that Paul, when he says width and length and depth and height, that he's trying to get us to think spatially, isn't he? Like that looks like three dimensions to me. Like think about the love of God and how wide it is, how long it is, how high it is, and, and even how deep it is. So I, I spoke with um, my math consultant about this whole thing of four dimensions, because I see here that he's talking about three dimensions, and then he says that you would comprehend the love of God in a way that is beyond knowledge. We live in a, we live in three D, and we can't even think of what four dimensions would be like if. I heard one physicist say, we weren't gifted with the ability to even imagine or wrap our minds around four dimensions. Physicists and mathematicians, they can theorize in the fourth dimension, but what happens is the mind just misinterprets the information because we're just not built. We're so limited. That's just that we only have a limited amount of knowledge and perspective, right? But God is saying here, In the spiritual sense, let your mind and your heart grab onto a supernatural perspective of the love of Jesus. Don't just look at it from the normal point of view, but you can comprehend it in a way that is beyond the natural mind. Have you ever read that some so-called spiritual guides, their, their counselors, their life coaches, their maybe they're dabbling in new age or maybe they're psychiatrists or psychologists they talk about the fifth dimension and this is a quote from ann versner she's a new age life coach she writes although it's not something you're likely to hear about in the nightly news there is much talk in spiritual communities regarding the upgrade we as a human as humans collectively go through because of our planetary shift from 3d to 5d What has been termed the shift of the ages and the golden age is what is behind the spiritual awakening many humans are experiencing at this time. So she's trying to say you can live in 5D if you have a spiritual experience. Unfortunately, very unfortunately, her spiritual experience doesn't include Jesus, who who gives us truth. But look, all along, God has told us in his word that we can know the love of God in a way that surpasses knowledge that God can give us this supernatural understanding of his love that there's a fullness that can be yours and mine that's beyond just mere mortal comprehension do you want that understanding of the love of Jesus as I was reading this the last couple days I was thinking and even telling God I want that Lord I want more of it I know that I don't just have a natural understanding of the love of Jesus. It's got to be supernatural or I couldn't be saved. At the same time, the answer to this prayer is that we can comprehend the love of Jesus in a greater way. That's my personal desire and it's our desire for one another. It ought to be our desire. Lord, get us out of the way we think and limiting you in your love. So as you receive the bread and the cup, let the Lord further Open your eyes, as this verse puts it, your comprehension. To comprehend what? The fourth dimension? The fifth dimension? No, to comprehend the love of Christ for you and what he did to save this world, our creator and our redeemer. Consider Cleopas. After him and his friend were with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, they didn't know who they were walking with. They just knew he was a really good teacher. And they said to him as they walked with him, this was after Jesus died and rose again, they said, haven't you heard about what happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus is kind of playing clueless a little bit. He did that sometimes. No, tell me. Well, Jesus was crucified. We thought he was the Messiah. They end up inviting the Lord to come and dine with them. A very good choice. And as Jesus is there at the table with Cleopas and his friend, Jesus breaks the bread they, and they begin to eat, right? Or they eat at the table and their eyes are opened and they see who He is. We've been sitting here with the Lamb of God. We've been walking down the road with the lion of the tribe of Judah, who rose from the grave, defeated our sin, and paved the way to eternity for us. Communion, the Lord's Supper is meant to awaken us to the love of God. It's the prayer included in the Word of God that we would comprehend His love in a way that's way beyond the natural. So as we receive it, I know we can't quantify the eternity that He has purchased for us. We can't measure His love. It's beyond measure. But let it soak into your soul. Yes, give God your brain, but give Him your soul, and let it soak in his mercy and his grace. Lord, let my eyes see, and not just my physical eyes, but my inner being, something that I can't define. Remember that way when it comes to the Lord's Supper. From the hand of Jesus saying, remember, I want to deepen your comprehension in a way that's beyond understanding, that you would know my love, that you would understand the cross, that you would understand my grace. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us, Um, this love um, perfected in us, Lord, not because of our merit one bit, but because of your mercy upon our lives. I thank you for your great, great word. I thank you for the evidence of the cross, for your blood that poured down and and ran over our sins and washed us white as snow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a seat one more time, if you could. Verse 20, oh, how good is that? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So there it goes again, the word of God telling us that God does more, that he's able to do more than we can even think of, that our prayers are often limited by our own minds and our own look. The way that we even ask God, he can do more than we ask him to do. I've been worrying lately because I'm thinking maybe God's not going to do what I'm asking him to do. And the word says that he's able to do more than I'm asking him to do. This is a brought. This truth is brought to many, many different petitions. A plethora of requests that we bring to God. And that's not unbiblical to do that. But I want you to think about this prayer request that we've studied a little bit here tonight. About opening up our eyes and our comprehension to the love of Christ for us. And what it's saying is that God can save people that we can't even imagine him saving. That God can keep us from stumbling into sin when it seems naturally inevitable. He can keep me and you from just falling on our faces if we just see it from the natural we would say it's just totally normal that we're going to fall right into that pit. And the Lord says, I can do more than you're asking and more than you can even imagine. God can heal us. He's able to heal us physically beyond rehab or surgery or medicine. That's what God is saying. More than you can ask, more than I can imagine, his healing power to the physical, his saving power to the soul, his keeping power for our walks with him, for our loved ones that we pray for so earnestly, for our relationships and friendships within the body of Christ. God can do more with those than we're able to understand. He can give us an understanding even greater than what we ask for, greater than what we imagine. Verse 21, to him be the glory. In the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen we're the church we're right there in verse 21 and all that we are everything in us is to bring glory to God that is our goal that's the reality actually is that our lives are glory giving to the Lord all of our understanding all of our actions And the church will be giving glory to the Lord forever. If we circle back to verse 15, talking about the family of God, some of them in heaven already, some of us here on earth, giving glory in heaven and on earth, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Glory to God in heaven, glory to God on earth. Uh, This song, many, many years ago, God worked an answer that was beyond my comprehension and I was reminded of this verse 20 in Ephesians where it says now to him who is able to do anything more than you can ask more than you can imagine tonight uh, maybe there is something that you need to give to God because he's able because he can do more than you would ask him to do, because he can literally um, surpass all of your comprehension and your expectations with that. Uh, whether you're defeated, um, whether you're ashamed, whether you're mired in pride or greed, the, the Lord is he's able to do so much more. Lord, I lift my eyes to see your greatness. I lift my voice to sing your praises. I ask God that you would um, keep us from being um, dim. I I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for handing us the cup with your nail-scarred hands. I thank you for giving us the bread of your own body. You're the bread of life, Lord Jesus.